to the Line Break Podcast. I am your friend, Chris Corlew, and with me as always is my friend, Bob Sikora. I'm here. Hello. I stumbled. <laughs> um, so this week our topic is magic in poetry. Magical things, of course, is a subgenre of horror, so we're you know trying to keep in, in theme with our Monster Month here, but this might be the least spooky-focused episode of our uh, of our little syllabus. Um, poetry, as we always say, is a medium made purely of language. Throughout human history, people have believed that various types of language have magical power. Of course, there's witchcraft and spells and such. There's also religious magic, like the power of prayers or mantras to invoke forgiveness for sins or focus the mind. The spiritual but not religious crowd has the secret, the idea that you can speak something into the universe and it will come true. Um, admittedly, I'm not the biggest believer in much of that stuff, but I do know that words have magic power because I'm a poet. Poetry's goal, frequently but not always caveat, is to captivate the reader even if the reason the reader is captivated is not immediately obvious. We talk a lot on this podcast podcast about how poetry resists paraphrase. It resists obviousness. And sometimes you really love a poem without really knowing why, without really knowing what it means, without wanting to answer those questions. Personally, there are writers who I've seen read that I've never read on paper, forgotten what poems they've read, but anytime their name comes up, I think, oh, that person's great. And that's because poetry reading can be an absolutely spellbinding experience. Not unlike a concert, I guess, but without the benefit of music. I think music is the most emotionally manipulative meaning, medium. Um, <laughs> one musician's opinion. <laughs> and poetry is distinct from fiction in this way, too. Um, a lot of times we talk about fiction as a way to transport yourself to a different world or whatever, which is great. But poetry has this way of transporting you to a different plane of emotion. And any book of fiction on my bookshelf, if I haven't read it in a while, I can say, oh, I don't remember much about it, but, you know, for instance, some hobbits go on a long walk. But there are books of poetry on my shelf that I haven't read in a while where I can't remember the title of any of the poems, the content of any of the poems, but I look at it and think, oh, yeah, that book's excellent. And that feels as close to magic as anything I've ever personally felt. Bob... If I ask you point blank to name a poet who made you feel spellbound at a reading, who would it be? Gun to your head, got answer now type situation. Oh, Ross Gay, no doubt. It I knew you were going to say Ross Gay. <laughs> um, I mean, I could I could go down the list. I, Ross Gay is the, the first obvious one. Um, Denez Smith is an incredible, incredible reader. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen Ada Limone read a couple times, and I always talk about how much I love her like on the page, but she's also a really engaging reading reader. And I want to give a shout out. Um, my buddy August Smith is a really good reader live. Oh, yeah? Nice. Um, yeah, shout out to August, man. I feel like someone I'm, there's someone I'm forgetting. I'll leave it at those four. I'll okay. Those four. Yeah. But I know there's, I know there's other ones. Because I've been to many a reading where I'm pretty stoked about the reader. Sure, yeah. Um, and yeah, and, and I guess what I'm getting at is like there are readers that I'm stoked about hearing 
it's no secret that Zach Schomburg is one of my favorite poets and um, I really love watching him read. I think he reads his, his poems perfectly, like the way they should be read. But like the type of magic that happens to me is like, uh, I guess I'm, I'm easily susceptible to like very loud readers because um, Abe Smith and uh, Dorothy Alasky are the two that come to mind for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but then like, God, I hope I'm not pronouncing his name incorrectly. Korish Ali Lansana, um, Southside Chicago poet, came to school, I think my junior, senior year, mm-hmm. did a reading and he was, he was really captivating. Um, it's obviously a feeling that's different for everybody, but it's, it, there's, there is a spell that poets can put on you. Absolutely. Um, I think uh, you're pointing to something interesting there. Uh, there is um, a loudness that I think often gets associated with it, kind of that, that magic of this person is expressive with their voice, with their body. But I do think that's not the only way. Um, yeah, and Kourish was not a loud reader. Right, right. Um, and I think it's particularly exciting now yeah, when you do see someone who uh, is pretty captivating, like without um, kind of uh, an extra level of dramaticness. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, it's loudness is frequently a cheat. I just, uh, <laughs> um, um, I just know that uh, when I when I wrote this question, I was like, for me, it's it's Abe Smith and Dottie Lasky. Right, right. Magic, Magic the Gathering. No, <laughs> Never I never played. played, yeah. Did some D&D, but never played Magic the Gathering. <laughs> so, yeah, both of our poems are uh, on the long side today. Do you want to just go ahead and get into it? Yeah, let's do it. Um, let's do it. I uh, I struggled with this one, Magic, which is I, I thought was, like, odd. It's a because, vague topic. But I, I guess, like, I just kind of thinking about it and, and the way that you kind of framed Magic, I feel like this should be easy and in all sorts of poems. You know, yeah. there's some sort of um, transforming of the everyday. Um, I, I guess I'll, I'll leave it there. Where, like that seems to be a really kind of easy entry point into this idea of magic. And then I found myself looking through books and being like, everything feels really in a unmagical realm and really wrapped up kind of in the everyday. So I struggled, pulled this book off the shelf and was like, oh, are you going to use this poem today? Like, is this the day you're going to use this poem? <laughs> Um, because it's not fair. It's not fair. Poem, <laughs> so goddamn good. It's a it's a really good one. Um, and you couldn't have picked a more Chris Corley Corp poem than this. Like one it too. might be the best poem. It might it might be the best poem. <laughs> you might have to stop the podcast. <laughs> um, of course, I'm talking about um Bridget Prigine Kelly's song, which I'm going to read now. Song. Listen, there was a goat's head hanging by ropes in a tree. All night it hung there and sang, and those who heard it felt a hurt in their hearts and thought they were hearing the song of a night bird. They sat up in their beds, and then they lay back down again. In the night wind, the goat's head swayed back and forth, and from far off it shone Faintly, the way the moonlight shone on the train track miles away, beside which the goat's headless body lay. Some boys had hacked its head off. It was harder work than they had imagined. The goat cried like a man and struggled hard. But they finished the job. They hung the bleeding head by the school and then ran off into the darkness that seems to hide everything. 
The head hung in the tree. The body lay by the tracks. The head called to the body. The body to the head. They missed each other. The missing grew large between them until it pulled the heart right out of the body until the drawn heart flew toward the head, flew as a bird flies back to its cage and the familiar perch from which it trills. Then the heart sang in the head, softly at first and then louder, sang low and low until the morning light came up over the school and over the tree and then the singing stopped. The goat had belonged to a small girl. She named the goat Broken Thorn Sweet Blackberry, named it after the night's bush of stars, because the goat's silky hair was dark as well water, because it had eyes like wild fruit. The girl lived near a high railroad track. At night she heard the trains passing, the sweet sound of the train's horn, pouring softly over her bed, and each morning she woke to give the bleeding goat his pail of warm milk. She sang him songs about girls with ropes and cooks and boats. She brushed him with a stiff brush. She dreamed daily that he grew bigger, and he did. She thought her dreaming made it so. But one night the girl didn't hear the train's horn, and the next morning she woke to an empty yard. The goat was gone. Everything looked strange. It was as if a storm had passed the passed through while she slept. Wind and stones, rain stripping the branches of fruit. She knew that someone had stolen the goat and that she had, he had come to harm. She called to him. All morning and into the afternoon, she called and called. She walked and walked. In her chest, a bad feeling like the feeling of the stones gouging the soft undersides of her bare feet. Then somebody found the goat's body by the high tracks, the flies already filling their soft bottles at the goat's torn neck. Then somebody found the head hanging in a tree by the school. They hurried to take these things away so that the girl would not see them. They hurried to raise money to buy the girl another goat. They hurried to find the boys who had done this, to hear them say it was a joke, a joke. It was nothing but a joke. But listen, here is the point. The boys thought to have their fun and be done with it. It was harder work than they had imagined, this silly sacrifice, but they finished the job. Whistling as they washed their large hands in the dark, what they didn't know was that the goat's head was already singing behind them in the tree. What they didn't know was that the goat's head would go on singing just for them long after the ropes were down and that they would learn to listen, pale after pale, stroke after patient stroke. They would wake in the night thinking they heard the wind in the trees or a night bird, but their hearts beating harder. There would be a whistle a hum, a high murmur, and at last a song. The low song a lost boy sings, remembering his mother's call. Not a cruel song. No, no, not cruel at all. This song is sweet. It is sweet. The heart dies of this sweetness. God. There's nothing to say, There's nothing to say after that. God. <laughs> um, 
it occurred to me as you were reading that um, fiction writers, this could be you, but you're playing. Like, <laughs> this is... Because there's nothing... This This poem isn't particularly, like flowery poetic type stuff that it's mm-hmm. there's a narrative here right and um but the you know attention to detail in the line breaks in the in the in the word choice and the diction and word choice and diction are the same thing but whatever <laughs> it's a it's a poem story and it 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 rules um i have other let me get to my notes. Um, <laughs> yeah um i mean what, what you're saying it's like really important here though too of, of that like this poem has a narrative and tells a short story ish. And it's like, I, I guess part of the magic of poems there is there's so much there. Yeah. It works so well. You know, yeah, there is a story here, but it couldn't just be a short story. Um, you know, right. that uh, there's just an incredible weight, W E I G H T, um, a heaviness. And it's responding to uh, the the prompt of magic in the way that we're both like spellbound by it and kind of speechless by it. Um, but it it has you know obviously the magical element of this hanging goat's head singing and kind of haunting a town. Um, it also yeah. almost feels like a like a mythology kind of thing. Um, you yeah. know, um, and it starts with just listen. You know, listen and the, almost like a uh, invoking the muse kind of thing. Like yeah, yeah. yeah. Like um, but no, you're uh, you're you went exactly to where I I went with my notes. A goat is traditionally an animal associated with like um, Satan and sacrifice. But like right. this is like in this poem, it's an image of uh, innocence and longing and love. Um, there's a lot of tropes with Matt that have to do with like magical realism, like um, making something internal and unexplainable literal. Um, like these boys who sacrifice this goat have to live with it singing to them for the rest of their lives, singing, not a cruel song. No, not a cruel song at all. The song is sweet. It is sweet. The heart dies of the sickness. Like, oh man, (laughs) that's, I mean, that's Gabriel Garcia Marquez right there. Like that is, that is incredible. And then the little girl, one night she doesn't hear the train's horn. And the next morning, she woke to an empty yard. The goat was gone. Everything looked strange. Like having her pain, this cataclysmic event in her life, begin with one night she didn't hear the train is like such a great move. Um, yeah, <laughs> and it's 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 exactly what you're talking about. It's 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 magic. It's yeah. I love that that line too. Everything is just everything was strange. Is it? I lost it now. Oh, uh, everything um, looked strange. Everything looks strange. But it, it comes um, after a line break, I think. Let me see. Lost it. But, um, you know, I, I, that's one of those ones where everything and strange are abstract words, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet that's absolutely the right three words for that moment. Right. It's you a know? line you kind of have to earn a little bit. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, to to be a little workshoppy about it, um, right. and 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 she does because <laughs> you've so got the is... buildup of the goat in the yard and the, the yeah. Sorry, yeah. I cut you off. I didn't mean to. I mean, I was I was just gonna contextualize a little bit. Um, so this is the opening poem in Bridget Pagine Kelly's second collection, which is just called "Song Like the Poem." 
And in just very classic Bob fashion, I think this was during my MFA when she passed away. I think it was like right at the end, you know, and I, I just had that moment where like, everyone's mourning this poet and I feel terrible. I haven't read this poet, you know. Right, um, right. And, and so this poem got like tweeted around and, you know, broke my brains. Um, and this is like my favorite poetry world being small and kind story is it was one of my last walks around Boston. Okay. Somerville, Cambridge area. When I was there, I walked a ton. By it's myself. a good walking city. It, it's, it was. It's yeah. a really good walking city. Yeah. Um, and I stopped at the Harvard bookstore, not the Coop for Boston people or for people from the area, um, but the other one. Um, and the oh uh, shoot, I'm losing it. My story as I'm going. Um, the poet uh, Melissa Lozado Oliva was a bookseller there at the time. And I found the signed copy of this book in the used bookstore basement. Go upstairs. Melissa is this bookseller, and she's about to leave this job, so she gives me her employee discount on this used signed copy. Hell yeah. This incredible awesome. book. Um, <laughs> made me feel very warm. Shout out to Melissa. Um, and I oh, feel great. a little bit... It undersells how good this poet is to get so obsessed with like the one, you know, like this is, this is the poem, you know? I was just about to say that the confidence she must have had in making this the first poem of the collection. <laughs> it's like I could read that poem and just like put the collection down and never pick it we're up. Done. Again. <laughs> yeah, we're done. Um, but it fit with a the theme and it's such, it's such an incredible poem. Um, she's definitely a, denser poet than I think this poem gives um, the impression of. This poem feels, you know, it's, it is. It's very straightforward. There's a lot of kind of simple sentences. It's, you know, telling a story. Um, yeah. I found a lot it's more still depression. a dense poem. There's a lot it packed is. in there. For sure. But, uh, but yeah, I was just saying it, it, like, I could see this as, like, like a Lydia Davis short story or something mm-hmm. like that, you know, right. like that kind of thing. Right. But, uh but yeah, you were saying she's a dancer. Yeah, how I found this uh, collection that um, made me work. Like definitely one where like the height of emotion that's going on this poem is is there throughout um, the rest of the book. But definitely one where it's like it's not a casual. I'm just going to take this poem in. It's like I got I to gotta read these poems. Also, a lot of these long poems like this yeah. <laughs> making me work. They do. They do. What? What an incredible image. Like you said, there's, you know, kind of history around um, goat and the significance of goats. Um, but, yeah, like to open up, I got to read the darn line again. <laughs> Listen, there was a goat's head hanging by rope in a tree. It's just yeah. so much. There's a goat's head hanging by ropes in a tree. All night it hung there and sang. And those who heard it felt a heart hurt in their hearts and thought they were hearing the song of a night bird. I read this and I was like, Bob picked a spookier poem than me. Like Bob picked like <laughs> a, like I heard like, um, I heard a, uh, like I heard a banjo playing on the porch of a haunted, like wooden cabin, like log cabin. Like I was, I was straight up into, uh, into horror mode. And then you, it, and, and you know, Rest assured, the rest of the poem's horrifying. But yeah, I, I read those first two lines and I was like immediately like just kind of chilled and like in horror movie mode. And then you you read the, the whole thing and the the rest of the poem is, you know, like, yeah, it's horrifying stuff, but it's also like 
so incredibly warm, um, so incredibly uh, detailed, and there's no like, there's not really any like, there's no vagueness to it. There's there's right. this is a poem about a tragedy and yeah. about how to comfort someone who suffered a tragedy, and then the pain and suffering that the perpetrators of that tragedy have to listen, have to live with for the rest of their lives. Right. Um, and to fit all that into, you know, I mean, well, this is long, but like it's two know. pages in a book though. Right. Yeah. Two pages. No? In a book. It's, it's short. Yeah. yeah. Um, short, relatively speaking. Um, right. And that's, that's an impressive feat of writing. Absolutely. I think you, you brought something up, I think really important there with the word warmth. Um, in that I very much agree with you. We open up with an image that's like spooky horror for sure. Um, And it's certainly not going to, the poem is not going to go down the trajectory of something more traditionally horror. Um, It's it's going into like uh, the very real, I mean, a small town probably. And it feels a little antiquated, but I'm sure like still very much everything here could happen. I don't know. To me, it sounds like um, but it you know, feels yeah, antiquated because we both live in cities. I mean, right. It's, that's, that's what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I guess it also, I don't know, like I got very much like stand by me kind of the, you know, yeah, sure. Yeah. Definitely that, like, that, a this could be an opening, like a, like a, like a proem to a Stephen King novel or something like that. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that it goes through this like small town tragedy that's very everyday, very could happen. Yeah. And examines it in both those really warm places and those really dark places. Um, You know, obviously with a lot of warmth um, for the girl who owned the goat and the kind of the tenderness of, of that relationship. Um, But also like, again, ending on that pain that the, the boys are going to feel is, is I I think an unexpected move. I think is a generous move. I think is, um, you know, uh, so wonderful, maybe wondrous, so something, um, the way that a poem can observe, like, from a distance, and then also, like, jump into the emotional whatever for so many different perspectives. Yeah, yeah. And again, in such a small small space. Right. And I want to be extremely clear here. We are not like trying to do the um the the media thing that people do after like mass shooters happen where it's like, "Oh, well he was like a uh 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 misfit kid who didn't right. fit in or anything like that." The, this poem doesn't forgive the boys at all. Right. Um, which I think is also really important. Absolutely. Um, this poem just illuminates that the guilty have pain. Right. Um, and that that feels like an important thing that a poem can do. Absolutely. I think it does too. Yeah, it it, it does not shy away from the shittiness of the act right. of beheading the goat. Yeah. Um, you know, um, and the, the the people in town, like the 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 the, the characters in town, they, they're only briefly alluded to. The first thing they do is like hide the, hide the goat parts from the girl, raise money so she can get another boat goat. And uh, then find the boys to hear them say it was a joke. It was a joke, nothing but a joke. Right. 
but that's never said. Yeah. They're just like, they're just begging for it. They just, they just want it to be true, but it's never said that it is true. (laughs) Um, So yeah, they, they they are, they are not forgiven in this uh, poem. They're just humanized. Um, Right. So yeah, I think that's really important. Like there's no, Oh, everything's okay. Here's their side of the story. It's, It's just like, it's, you know, here's what they have to live with. Yeah. Yeah. It's giving like a full and complex view at, at, at all these different parties involved. Yeah. Yeah. That opening description of it, some boys had hacked its head off. It was harder work than they had imagined. Oh yeah. That goat cried like a man and struggled hard, but they finished the job. Um, they hung the bleeding head by the school and then ran off into the darkness that seems to hide everything. There's so many important word choices there. Yes, yes, there really are. <laughs> um, um, yeah, it was harder work than they expected, which, like, of course it was, like, yeah. hacking a goat's head off. I've never done it, but... I know that it is hard. Um, there, are, there are bones in that neck. <laughs> but it, it's exactly, it's like the, the, the second you say that is what makes you think about it. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, like hacked is a really important, like they had hacked its head off. I think specifically using the word hacked is, is pretty, um, is a pretty solid choice. But to have that second sentence, it was harder work than they imagined. It emphasizes that it was work. It makes you slow down and think about like what that work entails. Right, um, right. Yeah, that it is probably multiple hacks. Yeah, lots which, and lots of hacks. Yeah, feels really gross. The goat cried like a man. That one really jumped out to me. Um, yeah, if we're if we're picturing this as like a rural, like sort of farm situation, um, you know, there is like no shortage of you know toxic sort of be a man and get out there and do this kind yeah. of thing. Like, you know, um, uh, uh, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a toxic attitude, but you know, like there, it's, it's, it's there. It's, it's a, you are, you are not a boy anymore. You are a man hack this goat's head off, you know, kind of thing. Not, not that that's what's happening in this poem, but like that attitude of, if you say had to slaughter a goat, um, you know, um, <laughs> it's, and it's such a good, I'm trying to find the right words for this, but like, it feels like this almost, the the metaphor there the goat cried like a man that simile is like is like comparing it to a man it it feels like the most like dry kind of metaphor but that it's like it's it's so awful you know the the sound you hear the picture you get is so awful because of that metaphor right and like to to continue on like my interpretation on it um, yeah, for the goat to cry like a man, men aren't supposed to cry. Right, right. And men only cry in the most extremely painful situations. And then for the goat to cry like a man, it's, yeah. Um, and then the next sentence, but they finish the job against oh, super yeah. important. <laughs> so an, another, another thing you say when you're working on a farm, like just finish the job, like get the farm done or get, get the job done. And then uh, they hung the bleeding head by the school and then ran off into the darkness that seems to hide everything. The seems is crucial. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> the, the thing about darkness is uh, it goes away every morning. 
she does a lot of this repetition in sort of simple sentences. I feel like there's a lot of they hung right below that, though. There's the head hung in the tree, the body lay by the tracks, the head called to the body, the body to the head. These simple kind of repetitions um, and like small kind of sentences that I think, um, not sure if I can quite identify what their power is, but they, you know. Yeah, it's not. It's not an afro, which we love to talk about on this podcast, but it is like, yeah, it is like repetition of the same idea mm-hmm. over and over again in sort of unexpected places. Right. Lends an extra power to the poem. Absolutely. A little um, bit of music. And it, it kind of jumps around in time a little bit too. Yeah. Uh-huh. Which I, I think is an effective choice. For sure. I mean... <laughs> should have just did a whole episode about this poem. That <laughs> was part of my thought when I was texting it to you. I was like, it does feel like I'm burning the poem too early. You know? Maybe we'll do a whole episode about this collection. Maybe that's coming up. Ooh, we could do that. Maybe we could, we could do, that. do that. I feel like there's got to be one more section that I want to point us to closely. Maybe just towards the end, the second. So, but listen, I do really love this. But listen, here's the point. Um, and oh then yeah, you know, that's also a line you have to earn. Yeah. <laughs> but listen, here's the point, um, and she re- and she does because you could say, "Listen, here's the point." But just love... any time. <laughs> I've said that at one thirty a.m. in a bar like millions of times. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> what I love is that it's and it's also I mean it's definitely very different than that. But it, that uh, but here this is the point is not a, like we're getting quickly to it. It's like right. I, got, I got some more to tell you here. Yeah. The boys thought to have their fun and be done with it. It was harder work than they imagined, this silly sacrifice. They finished the job. Great, great repetition, bringing those phrases back. Yeah. Whistling as they washed their large hands in the dark. What they didn't know was that the goat's head was already singing behind them in the tree, just for them, long after the ropes were down, and that they would... I missed something trying to read this part. There was a repetition. Yeah, no, you said uh, singing them behind the tree. What they didn't know was that the goat's head would go on singing just for them long after the ropes were down and that they would learn to listen. Yes. Yeah. Pail after pail, stroke after patient stroke. Oof. It's chilling. It's haunting. It's beautiful. It's it's incredible. And (laughs) it points to, like... It says this silly sacrifice could have just slit the goat's throat and left. Uh-huh. <laughs> but they wanted to cut its head off and hang it from the tree. And then you have to do the hard work of severing the goat's spinal cord and all the other stuff. And then stringing it up from the tree. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, it really emphasizes the brutality of the act. Right. And then right after that pivots to the amount of regret they're going to have to live with. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. All of that work to be haunted by this. Yeah. yeah. Um, all of that work to be haunted for the rest of your life. Yeah. <sighs> bone chilling, man. I think I said <laughs> bone chilling on every monster month. <laughs> bone <laughs> chilling. Bone chilling. Bonesaw. <laughs> Bonesaw is ready. Shout out to our friend Marty Quirk. <laughs> um, all right, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna be let's, here. Let's let's read, let's read another poem. Yeah, let's read another poem. 
Okay. Uh, this is a little bit less bone chilling. Still scary, but a little bit less bone chilling. <laughs> okay, so um, I'm going to do a little uh, little preface here. Uh, my first instinct when I texted you the uh, magic proposition, like it, it sparked in my head and, and I didn't have a plan for it. It was just like, magic's <laughs> a thing. <laughs> then I saw the uh, Breakbeat Poets Volume 2 Black Girl Magic Anthology on my shelf and was like, well, I should thumb through this. Um, no anthology has ever made me read it as rapturously as this one did. Um, like I actually went through page by page for a while, like for like the first like 50 pages of this anthology, which is not something I normally do with anthologies. I normally skip around and, and pick it up, put it down, pick it up, put it down. So we're talking about magic and poetry. So I want to, I want to do a few pull quotes before I get to the poem. This is from the foreword by Patricia Smith. What you hold in your hands is not an anthology of verse. It is a manual of glorious sorcery. It's page upon page of stanza as incantation, crafted not to make black girls' lives less impenetrable and lyrically palatable for the curious, but to revel in the chilling power of our weaponry, uh, which is a much cooler way of saying everything I was trying to say in the intro. <laughs> <laughs> can't it, Patricia Smith is going to have a better way to say it than you are. You just got to accept it's, that. Yeah, yeah, it's just going to. It's yeah. That's that's going to be that's going to be what happens. Um, but I also asked um, I asked my wife Mallory, who is not a poet, um, but does have a YouTube channel you should subscribe to. It's called That Mom Bod. Um, shameless, shameless promotion. But I asked her what Black Girl Magic meant to her. Um, <laughs> And she said, to me, it's an acknowledgement. Historically, black women and girls are not listened to in all aspects of life, work, medically, even in personal lives. Because of this, it's easy for a black woman to not realize how awesome they are. Like your talents are the things that make you special. If you're constantly being undermined, you may have trouble seeing that. So it's a reminder, basically, like the world is shit to you. But you are so special that it's literally magical. I think that the girl in Black Girl Magic is important too, because this shit starts in childhood. And it also acknowledges that Black girls aren't often allowed to be girls. We aren't allowed to be children. Society sees us as adults way earlier than our white counterparts. So the girl in it is like, even as a child, you were magic. So... I thought that was really cool. Um, I, th I thought that was... That was a, brilliant. God damn. She's, God, she's great. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm married to her, but, you know, she's great. <laughs> um, she, uh, uh, she doesn't know it, but this super applies to my poem, I think, uh, which I will now stop prefacing and read. This is Alicia Nicole Harris. White Godiva melts in a mouthful of blood. Prayer for my unborn daughter. When I was young, the southern boys asked me to open my legs, and I showed them a fountain, because what do teeth say against wood or apple against dull kitchen knife? My body already says the silence, says the whiteness someone asked for as a wedding present. I'm the lightest peach on the tree. When the child splits me, 
Will she bear any of my taste? Sometimes around my family, I touch my belly, lower my head. It's the guilt of bringing home a ghost. It's everybody in the family praying for the ghost's light eyes. It's Aaron's sperm making an alabaster baby inside my safest, blackest room, and me not knowing if there's enough of Benny Lee's blood in my veins to spill. Every time he's on top of me, I mouth, lover, don't eclipse. A white shadow is still a shadow that can cast, and my mood is a moon as dark and as there as a shadow is a specter, is a haunting, I never want to leave this bone house. Shade may be shade, but black ain't the same invisible. I will not unpeel my darkness from her walls. I want her born into this bruise. That's a poem. So that's a poem. That's, that's a poem. poem. Oof. That's, that's a, a poem. poem. Um, to vaguely connect back to our scary theme month, uh, let me just say that <laughs> pregnancy is scary. <laughs> And bringing a black child into America in 2018 is also scary. Mm-hmm. Um, but seriously, this poem hits on a, a really personal note for me. Um, I could be wrong, but I feel like the speaker is carrying a biracial kid. Uh, she talks about Aaron's sperm making an alabaster baby inside my safest black room. And me not knowing if there's enough of Benny Lee's blood in my veins to spill. Um our kid looks almost exactly like me, just with coily hair. And Mallory sometimes jokes that uh, she did all the work of growing him, only for him to come come out as my clone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but even though he's biracial, he is, especially in the eyes of America, black, uh, which Alicia alludes to here with the lines, when the child splits me, will she bear any of the taste? And shade may be shade, but black ain't the same invisible. I will not unpeel, unpeel my darkness from her walls. I want her born into this bruise. And that is such a great reminder, not only of the fact that you can't escape being black, but you shouldn't. You shouldn't want to. Right. Um, black people, especially in America, have every reason to be proud. They are survivors of slavery and Jim Crow and redlining and modern policing and every attempt the world makes to kill them. And blackness is a badge of honor. Um, the speaker of this poem is bestowing it to her daughter in utero, um, which feels like a kind of magic. And like all of everything, um, the, the the southern boys asking her to open her legs, the family playing praying for an alabaster baby, the being born with a bruise. This poem just feels like um, just a celebration of the blackness that our daughter's going to have. Mm-hmm. And no wonder the phrase black girl magic exists. Um, right. So, yeah, this this struck a chord with me. That is fair. Um, <laughs> I think it's remarkable how much everything you just said is here. That, that this poem is, to me also, in a very different way, but heavy and weighted with so many things. There's a lot here. It took me a while to distill just those thoughts down. Right, right. There's so Absolutely. much more to mind. 
Yeah. Uh, we talk, we talk both of us being like, so into like poetic efficiency and like people were able to pack a lot of things into like a small amount of space essentially with small amount of language. And that's absolutely happening here to open from the Southern boys asked me to open my legs. Um, and kind of the, I don't know, that's, there are dark implications there. Yeah. Oh, right. The darkness really dark of that. Implications. Yeah. yeah I, I guess that's what I'm, what I'm, so struck by here is this finding of strength and positivity and and self-love within like the darkness hanging over this and the you know that's that's an awful place to start the pressure family sometimes around my my family i touch my belly lower my head it's the guilt of bringing home a ghost yeah and it, it just occurred to me uh reading it now that the touching your belly around your family is, or, or the speaker mm-hmm. um, touching her belly around her family. That, that feels like part of the, the magic of conferring blackness onto the baby. Like mm-hmm. I touch my belly around my family. I don't touch my belly around Aaron's family. Right. You know? Yeah. Then that next line, it's everybody in the family praying for the ghost's light eyes. Holy shit. Like, right. And yeah, like, you know, life is a, <laughs> Life is a lot easier if you can pass, you know? Yeah. Um, and... Um, there's something really, I think, there's something really well done about this move of, of the, the three lines there that are using ghosts and the metaphor of a ghost and then going to, like, the just, you know, directness of Aaron's sperm um, that I just yeah, think is yeah. a, a clutch move right there. Especially since ghosts, you know, you normally associate as, like, ethereal and white and, like... You know, and then just like, boom, I'm going to use the word sperm in a line. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And then like ghosts, like, uh, you know, admittedly, like uh, we're reading this out of a book called Black Girl Magic. But like Mm -hmm. the ghost thing kind of invokes like um, Toni Morrison's beloved with like the ghost of slaves, uh, Mm -hmm. the ghost of um, of uh, of just of like all of the past, you know, um, uh, yeah, there's, uh, y- using that is, uh, I feel like it is very frequent that, uh, poets use the word ghost just because it's a cool word. <laughs> and it's loaded with a lot more. Here. Yeah. It is very earned here. <laughs> right. Every time he's on top of me, I mouth lover don't eclipse. A white shadow is still a shadow that can cast. My mood is moon as dark as there, dark and as there, as a shadow, is a specter, is a haunting I never want to leave this bone house. Yeah. And that is, um, that's what sort of tipped me off into like thinking, like, I mean, the whole poem tipped me off into thinking that it was about like having a biracial kid and the the, the sort of complicated feelings about that. But like, a, a white shadow is a shadow that can still cast is. Like you can, you can look white, but people can decide you're black, you know, Mm -hmm. in terms of like, you know, oppression or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. um, in terms of things you have to be afraid of. And that's, um, that's, that's such an incredible metaphor for that complex experience. Right. Right. Um, I mean, that's exactly it. Uh, 
the complexity of this experience, um, you know, and coming from my privileged ass position as a white man, uh, someone also who hasn't uh, had to be a parent yet and go through any of those fears yet. I mean, that's <laughs> right, not my right, privilege. Right. I just like the, the the number of experiences I have not had looking at this poem. Right, um, right. You know, uh, it's yeah, this may it's, be the most unbalanced identifying with a poem that we've ever had. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's 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 for me. It's Whew. these are heavy, heavy feelings and heavy things to, to handle and be going through. You know, I, I, one of the weirder things in my life um, is being friends with now parents and to have just this immense gap in experience um, sure. and, and feeling. Um, yeah. And, and like you're saying, these, these feelings that you have as a father and, and specifically for or just entering the world and what he's his life is going to be like my gosh like yeah it, you know it, yeah it's it's one of those things where like you just you know you have um you have a lot of thoughts during pregnancy i i remember like a lot of the the feelings and thoughts i had about okay this is a thing we want to do this is deliberate and planned and we definitely want to do this but um you know, like sometimes you ask yourself, are you, are you making the right decision? Are you making the responsible decision? Mm-hmm. Um, especially, you know, uh, with, 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 with just knowing how this country treats about treats black people. Um, and then you think about that. You can't let other people dictate your choices. You can't let living in a racist society stop you from bringing a black child into this world. But you you have to know what they're going to go through and and especially being the white parent of this black child um it's your responsibility to educate yourself about stuff and uh and prepare prepare for all of those realities and um but then you know of course i'm coming from another privileged spot where i'm not the one who had to carry the carry the kid right and uh what this poem gets at is like yeah having all those thoughts while a baby is growing inside you and it's just like like how did she even write this (laughs) 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 like yeah how did she even write this poem and it's like to um, be able to sit down uh, with a notebook or with a computer or whatever and, and be able to distill all of those complex thoughts right. is not a skill that I have mastered yet. Um, yeah. Um, but, I mean, this this does take us a little bit back full circle to um, magic in poetry and the magic of poetry um, in that, uh, you know, this helps helps me understand and get closer to an experience I, I just will never have, you know? Right. Um, mm-hmm. In a way that... You can never know the experience, but you understand it a little bit better. Right, yeah. This gets me a little bit closer to it than I know, than anything else I know in terms of, um, you know, just, yeah, a, a little bit closer to a place where I can understand, um, you know, a little bit more. I, I'm yeah. out of words. Right. <laughs> and she even says... Uh, or, you know, well, no, Patricia Smith said in the intro, it's not for people who are curious, but like 
what I what when when you're saying or it's not for making experience lyrically palatable for uh for the curious or whatever. But <laughs> when you say that, what I'm hearing is not that you're like, ooh, isn't this interesting? It's more like a I'm gaining a little bit of empathy here. I mm-hmm. I, I I I I can I'm I'm learning and understanding a little bit more here. Right. Um which is you know, I think a worthwhile goal for art to have, you know. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Man. Taking us places. It's taking us places. We are we're we're spellbinding ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's 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 pivot to uh, basketball here. I might be reaching a little bit with this question. We'll see. But travel with me to an alternate timeline where Magic Johnson doesn't exist. Okay. <laughs> Nothing against magic. I love magic. Magic's great. Um, but which player would you give the nickname magic to? That's the, that's the question. So wow. my, my troll answer is Larry bird. <laughs> oh, <laughs> look, dude was a wicked smart passer and he seemed to be able to manufacture incredible plays out of nowhere whenever it was needed in big moments. So, um, this is uh, this is also doubles as my uh, interview tape if uh, the ringer ever comes calling. <laughs> um, but yeah, so my real answer though, it's a little bit of a cheat. It's not an NBA player, but I am going to bestow the nickname of Magic onto Philip Champion, aka Hot Sauce from the N One Mixtape Tour. <laughs> No one has ever done sleight of hand with a basketball more than okay. that, dude. Okay. I can follow. Uh, uh, you know, I wouldn't say he, um, you know, uh, if we're talking about Larry Bird and his court vision, Hot Sauce was a flashy passer, but not a, you know, necessarily a uh, make a play to win a championship passer. But, um, <laughs> but, but yeah, like as far as just being a magician with the ball, I'm going to celebrate Hot Sauce. <laughs> um, it's really hard to untangle the nickname from from Magic's style of play. Yeah. Um. So, perhaps in this alternate universe where there's no Magic Johnson, I get. I, I don't know what happens to the '80s. Uh, oh, like, we don't have to think about the whole scope of history. I'm just. Talking about somebody <laughs> else who maybe a better way to I frame know, it is but like I want to know about the alternate history. <laughs> the Clippers are still garbage in the eighties. Well, I'm aware of that. <laughs> um, they should have been garbage the entire time. Donald Sterling wasn't the owner. Like that's they should have been. That is uh, speaking of magic. That yeah, that's a that's a curse they deserved. Yeah, right. Um, but so what I was going to say is that I, I feel like it just uh, the nickname doesn't get used until someone plays uh, like him a uh, similar kind of big, um, not, not truly a point guard when he finally came around, but uh, I want to give this to Grant Hill. Um, okay. you know, someone who had the athleticism, had the passing, um, you know, uh, had, had Magic Johnson not existed, I think he would have felt like one of a kind um, at the time. Um, yeah. I I like that pick, especially because Grant Hill's signature move was like a really quick first step with a really basic crossover, <laughs> uh, like from a triple threat 
right position and just like one dribble crossover and fast first step. Like sure. you watch yeah. YouTube highlights of him, and dude's incredible. Grant Hill is one of my is is one of my favorite players um, and favorite media people. Um, I love Grant Hill, but um, I watch YouTube highlights of him, and I'm like, how did people just fall for that over and over again? <laughs> and the I I think that the answer is I mean without ever having you know seen him live or anything I think that the answer was just like it must have been something like I mean it must it, I think the answer is he was just super fast and <laughs> had control right. over his moves but I mean wow. there must have there must have been some sort of <laughs> can be really corny spell he put on his defenders because oh. <laughs> uh, they just look like. It feels like if you studied even a modicum of game film, you'd know what was coming, but they just <laughs> they just fall for it every time. So I think that's actually a really good pick. And he was a you know, he was an excellent passer. He was six wasn't eight. quite as flashy as magic in the same way. But I think like you said, the athleticism is such an important part of his game, you know, that yeah, he was right. flying and then, around, making you know, moves. barring the injuries, he's LeBron before LeBron. I mean, yeah, his his stats were always like 28 and 7, you know, right. something like that. Like, yeah, that's a good pick. Um, Magic. It feels very weird to uh, bestow the nickname Magic onto someone with as bland a name as Grant Hill. Though. Oh! <laughs> Grant Magic Hill. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work at all. That doesn't work in the slightest bit. But but the game stuff works, yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> well... That's been an episode. Uh, everyone, uh, get out there and hex someone today. Uh, cast some spells. Uh, make a potion. I've got a chicken broth stewing on the uh, stove right now, so uh, that's kind of like a potion. Um, <laughs> our music is produced by Brennan Johnson. Our art is done by A.M. Strickland, and we will talk to you guys next week. <laughs>